Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, I am pleased to welcome back Chris Dumphy and Sherry Viard. They are Technomadia. And today, we're going to talk about looping in segments because it's kind of a different way of doing the loop, a little different than the traditional doing it all at once in about a year. And uh, Sherry and Chris have really uh, kind of taken that to the next level in terms of doing it in segments. So we'll be talking with them about that. Before we begin, as always, I want to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA and loopers at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes and Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, Cherie and Chris, welcome back to Great Loop Radio. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us on, Kim. Yeah, and for the, for those who perhaps didn't hear uh, the other episodes we've done with you or perhaps have not come across your social media, uh, just give us a little bit of an introduction to you and to Technomadia. So we have been full-time travelers since 2006. We started out in RV, and um, we always had aspirations of getting onto the water in a boat, and we finally did. It's been almost three years. Yeah, three years. We bought a Bayliner 4788, and uh, been uh, most of the past three years we've been on the boat instead of the RV. Although we still intend to divide our time. And you mentioned that you know, RVing has been your thing for many years. So, what is it that caused that transition to boating, and specifically to the Great Loop? Well, it's, boating has been something we actually talked about on our very first date. So, it's, it's something that's always been on our um, want to do list. And we were always called to coastal cruising and the Great Loop and stuff almost, you know, almost from the very beginning, just because it's, it's like RVing on water. You're not disconnecting from society and from work because we still work full time. You're still in connectivity. So it's all, you know, it's all very, very doable. And we have some very deep roots in the RVing community. And the Loop is basically going a lot of the same places we used to go in our RV. It's just we're in the water side of things now. Seeing it from a whole different perspective. So we still have the opportunity to meet up with our friends and community that we made in our RVing days, and we still RV. <laughs> um, so it's been a great way for us to to change it up but not uh, disconnect ourselves. Yeah, we, we, did, we weren't really aspiring to go across an ocean or disappear down into the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. We, we love the coastal side. Well, and you're completely right that there is a big overlap between RVers and boaters, particularly loopers, because they are long-distance travelers, so to speak, or cruisers. Um, so I, I know there's a big overlap, and I have visited with you on your boat when you were here in Charleston, and there were RVers just coming along and finding you and very excited to see you because you've developed quite a following in the RV community and are extending that to the boating community. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. You know, How did you develop this following among RVers? So we, we both were bloggers before we met. Actually, blogging was how we met. Um, so we were both just love to share about what's up in our lives. And it used to be personal, social. That's what social media used to be. It was all about meeting people. And we just continued to share our journey. And we were one of the, the, the first big prominent um, set of bloggers um, who were sharing about living full-time on the road and how to do it while still working on the road. So we kind of... And also, we were kind of pioneering a lot of interesting technology. Like, we had one of the very first RVs. We built our own lithium battery system, and we did solar. We did all these interesting, geeky projects 
We shared how we worked online, which was a lot harder back then. And that built up a following over time. And um, we've now actually turned that into our, our day job is we run the Mobile Internet Resource Center, which is you know taking that sharing around how to stay connected and have turned have turned that into an online community and a business for us. Yeah. And so, of course, staying connected is so much easier now. Um, and that's probably mm-hmm. another whole topic. Uh, as I said, it's easier, but there are still lots of resources people need. So <laughs> yeah. we'll have to bring you back one day to do that. Um, but talking about looping in segments, um, kind of uh, tell us about your Great Loop experience so far, because you said you've been aboard, aboard the boat for about three years now. You know, tell us where in that three years you've traveled. So we ended up purchasing our boat in Punta Gorda, Florida. So uh, we intentionally decided to not set off on the loop uh, immediately because at that time our boating experience was an inflatable kayak. So we figured it would probably be very wise for us to get some training and get used to boating. Uh, so we did some time to find a local captain and did some classes with Captain Chris and Elise and um, just tried to learn as much as we could. And just got really comfortable living aboard the boat, and um, and, and you know, we, we we searched for boats all up and down the East Coast. We eventually found ours in Punta Gorda, and just made that our home base for several months, and then we know. started slow cruising. And we we originally had intentions of doing the loop in maybe two or three years, just a slightly slower pace than what is typical. Uh-huh. But as we got into cruising, we just really discovered that we loved the places where marinas were. A lot of them being in city centers and having walking distance to cool down towns and shopping and theater and all the things that we love. We said it, so the, the projections of two to three years quickly grew to, well, maybe this is going to be a lot longer of a journey because we're going to get stuck in a lot of cities just because they're awesome. <laughs> and the economics of cruising too, the, the, the monthly prices at marinas were fabulous compared to, you know, you know, particularly constantly piling on daily stays. So, you know, we can go to a really cool city, get a monthly spot, make it get, be comfortable there, really get to explore it. And, you know, we still work full time during the week. So we get to have an awesome, awesome place to be, to be base camped at for a while. And then once we're finally kind of worn out of the area, then we just, you know, cruise on down the next couple to the next cool spot. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that because I think perhaps people who aren't on the loop yet or don't have their looping boat yet, um, you know, if you're going to keep the boat beyond doing the loop, you have to keep it somewhere. So, you know, your idea that the monthly rates are so much more cost effective than doing a whole series of daily rates. For those who maybe haven't experienced that yet, can you give an example or two of how much you can save on a monthly rate over doing a, a daily tra- a transient rate where you're continuing to move? Right. So I think a lot of loopers are used to paying anywhere between maybe a dollar to three dollars per foot for a nightly stay. Mm-hmm. So we, our boat is about 50 feet. So that we're, we're looking at anywhere between $50 and $150 a night to uh, dock a boat, plus electric and any other fees they might tack on. On a monthly stay, we're finding rates starting from $8 to about $20 a month per foot. And so that's getting us and to stay places for usually between $800 and $1,100 a month. And for living waterfront, yeah. that's pretty darn awesome. <laughs> yeah, you really can't beat that, can we- you? No. You know, we, we've been in the hearts of downtown with million-dollar condos that are looking at us as their view, and we have the same view they do out over the water and stuff, and mm-hmm. it's just superb. So how many cities have you taken advantage of a monthly rate and stayed a month or longer? We stayed in Punta Gorda, and then we were in Fort Myers. We were in Marathon, Florida. Uh, yeah, that was came with uh, Hurricane Irma. Mm-hmm. That's a, so 
that was a, an extended uh, hurricane stay. But uh, uh, we did end up storing in Miami after that. We had some repairs to affect after the hurricane. Um, so we ended up in Miami for quite a while doing that. Uh, and then we were up in uh, Fort Pierce because we went there for the MTOA rendezvous. At New Smyrna Beach. We really loved the extended stay there. Um, we loved uh, Jacksonville. The Ochega yeah, Landing. Landing was great. And then we went to Sanford, Florida um, last winter and just fell in love with that town. We intended to be there just for a week and got a, basically stayed all winter season. That's, that's a side trip off the loop down the St. Yeah. John's River, which is a an great amazing side trip. Side trip. <laughs> and yeah, people uh, rave about the St. John's River side trip for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it is fantastic. I definitely recommend that to Loopers if they have the time to do it. Uh, we ended up in um, Brunswick, Georgia. Brunswick Landing. Yeah, Brunswick uh, Landing for an, another month. And, that and was then great. Uh, we ended up, our next stay after that for a month was up in Charleston where mm-hmm. we uh, met you over yeah. the summer. And that's as far north as we've gotten in our yeah. <laughs> And is the boat still here in Charleston? No, actually, we ended up having to backtrack uh, where my mother uh, needed some assistance with the surgery she was going through. So we ended up backtracking a bit before we stored for. Uh, the hurricane season. And so, yeah, now we're actually in our RV while our boat is stored in Georgia. Okay. So what have you found to be some of the benefits of looping in segments like this? You mentioned the cost effectiveness of, of getting longer term stays. What other benefits have you found to looping in segments? Well, definitely for us, because after we've been now been on the road nearly 14 years. So being able to slow down the pace over time has been really important to us. When we looked at the loop, which should say 6,000 miles is a, an average loop, perhaps, of what people might do in, the, uh, in their whole journey. When you're talking about moving at six, seven, eight knots, well, you look at the number of hours in which you're actually driving your vessel, whether it's an RV or a boat. Well, the loop to us seemed like the equivalent of about forty to 50,000 RV miles as far as the time invested in moving. And it's also cost and fuel. So for us, a lot of it has been having more time to explore the cities in which we're going to and less time in the moving of the vessel and the logistics around that. Yeah, I feel really sorry for people who go to a place like Charleston, you know, which is like an, an amazing stop. And they're there for a day or two days, or, or some loopers might only be there for, for a week or less because they've got such a tight schedule to keep. And Charleston is such an amazing city that even after a month, we felt like we'd barely scratched the surface. And there's city after city after city after city up and down the coast, and as you work around the loop, that are just as awesome. And being able to, to go deeper into them is fabulous. And then it also allows time for, if you're still working, to, to work and travel and mix it all up all in one if you're not you know, making it doing the loop, you're 100% day job, basically. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think that's a really strong point is that, um, you know, we see a lot of loopers who do it in the year time frame and uh, enjoy it so much that they either go around all the way around again, or they'd continue that type of cruising and go back and visit the Chesapeake or go back and do the down east loop because they really just didn't have enough time to enjoy it the first time around. So it's just a different style of doing it. And as you know, we are big proponents of there is no right or wrong way. Um, But I do like to point out some of the benefits that you can experience by doing it in segments, particularly if you have some obligations perhaps back at home that it gives you that chance Absolutely. to for someone who go is take care of this. their time with another home base, definitely. Exactly, and, and your home base you happens wanted... to be an RV, but it, it could be a dirt home, really could be a, you know any other interest that you also want to pursue. Yeah, but... Right, and we've run into other people who are still working age, and they've managed to keep their regular job, and it may not be one they can do remotely all the time, 
Uh, so this allows them to maybe just take more extended vacations in the month um, and going and doing segments of the loop and then going back to their regular work life. Right. So the question I hear all the time from loopers considering a, a segments type of loop and also from some loopers who are taking about a year but just need to leave the boat for a little while. And in fact, it came up just this weekend at our seminar outside of Chicago. How do you find a good place to tie up the boat and leave it, knowing you may not be back for a month or two or more? Um, how do you select what place it's going to be well cared for and safe? We mostly steer by serendipity and just kind of like hope that something good comes up for us. But checking in the word of mouth, checking in with the Great Loop community, checking with other cruisers to see, is this place got a good reputation or even better, meeting people who are living there. So if your boat's going to be gone, you can meet the locals. If your boat's going to be there and you're going to be gone, you can meet locals who can keep an eye on it for you, too. It's really fabulous. Um, but we, we basically, we originally thought, well, we would research ahead. We would pick out the, the great boatyard or marina where we're going to leave the boat and store it. But, you know, we all know that the worst thing that you can pack on a boat is a schedule. And we found that to start to get stressful for us. So, like, we might have had aspirations to get the boat up to the Chesapeake by hurricane season to store in a much safer location without having to worry about it as much. But we kept finding all these cool cities we wanted to stop at, and it, it became a struggle for us at odds. It's like, okay, do we do a faster pace than we really want to be doing right now, or do we just find what the best option is and just trust that things are going to be okay? Right. Yeah. So if, for loopers who do need to leave the boat in a specific area or within, within you know, 100 miles of a specific area, um, you know, that your choices become more limited. But I love the way you two are doing it in that there is, you know, literally no schedule. So whatever town you decide to stay in, um, you have the ability to do that. So that makes it, you know, extra fun. And if you pick out a marina, I would imagine that you think you're going to leave the boat while you go back to the RV and it turns out not to be what you expected, then you still have the option of finding something else. So, um, exactly. Absolutely. And we also had the opposite as we got to marina where we thought was just going to be for storage. And we get there and it's so awesome that we gave up our RVing plans last winter and stayed aboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, just uh, I love the, um, the serendipitous way you're going about this. So I do want to talk about what you do to the boat itself when you're preparing to leave it for a somewhat extended period of time. But before we get to that, I just want to take a quick moment and play a message from one of our sponsors. So we'll be back in a moment. Good morning, loopers. Many of you are probably already cruising in southeastern waters, and that is where the Salty Southeast Cruisers Net focuses all of its efforts to help you enjoy your time on the water. So as you prepare for the next leg of your journey, and as your resource for accurate, timely, and useful information, we want to invite you to use and add your knowledge to the wealth of information that's available through the Cruisers Net in its directories for marinas, bridges, and anchorages as well as the latest fuel prices in your area. Our mission of Cruisers Helping Cruisers, may we invite you to help those following in your wake by sharing with us your cruising experiences. Thank you. Have a great day. We're back on Great Loop Radio today. We're talking with Cherie Viard and Chris Dumphy, and we are talking about looping in segments, which they have been doing for the past few years. 
tell me about what the two of you do when you're preparing the boat to leave it behind. For example, you mentioned when you were in the Keys and it was hurricane season and a storm did, in fact, head that way. Um, I know that was an extremely stressful experience and hopefully not something that you'll have to repeat. But in terms of preparing the vessel itself for you to be gone for a little while, what types of things do you do ahead of time and what types of things can you really not address so you just continue to worry about while you're gone? Well, yeah, the, 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 the leaving our boat in Marathon and evacuating in front of Hurricane Irma was a pretty extreme example because we had no we, really much time to do much. And, and we also were under the impression that there's a good chance we would never see our boat again. So we basically took everything we could fit into the borrowed truck we had and and fled. So that so was hopefully that's a scenario that we won't have to deal with. But we have stored the boat several times from a couple weeks to several months at a time now. Uh, and it depends first if we're able to find some place where we can haul out and be on land versus if we're going to be in the water. Um, if we're staying in the water, uh, we're obviously we want to set the, uh, if we're especially it's going to be in humid or hot conditions, we do set the air conditioner to keep running. But that, you have, for, of course, concerns sea strainers with sea strainers and bilge pumps and all the things. So we try to, if we're leaving in the water, we either try to make a friend in the uh, marina itself that can come and check on the boat for us or some marinas actually do offer kind of a care package where they will kind of inspect your boat and, and check yeah. it while, what, while you're gone. What we've managed to do when we've left our, our boat in the water is find friends who want to have a vacation on the water, and they're not going to take the boat out, but they're basically, you know, you want a condo in this cool place? Come down. Here's where we have the, uh, they will send, hook you up with the key and everything else. And all we ask you to do is these five chores for us while you're down so that you can kind of keep on top of checking on the boat and stuff, and you get to stay in a cool place. Yeah. Uh, this time, we uh, we have hauled out for the season, and, uh, you know, obviously you need to be thinking about you're not going to have – you can't run the air conditioners <laughs> and things like that while you're on the heart. So, you know, we tried to put some dehumidifiers in the boat as best as we could. Uh, we left behind security cameras, uh, which actually – Proved fortuitous because yeah. we actually did have a break in a few weeks ago and were able to apprehend the perpetrator, which was um, because the cameras, yeah, we got the, the picture to the, the police. We scared them off because we could talk to them through the camera and then got the picture to the police and they were able to catch him and prosecute. But because we knew we were not going to necessarily uh, be there and we didn't need to leave electricity on because we wouldn't be having guests staying aboard to check on things, uh, we just did a very, very thorough cleaning, made sure all of the refrigerators were completely cleaned out just in case we did lose power for any length of time so mold wouldn't grow. Um, just really just clean things up. Anything that might um, spoil, you definitely want to get off the boat or else you're going to come back to an interesting <laughs> smell. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you want to stabilize your fuel anytime you're going to leave the boat for any length of time without actively operating it. Mm -hmm. yep. So you've hauled it out a few times now. Is there a particular, and if you're having work done, of course, that, that may be the best option, but is there a particular amount of time that you would consider hauling it out versus leaving it in a wet slip? Because it can be pretty costly to haul it out. True. I, I guess for us, like right now, we, we've combined the hauling out for storage with we're going to have a new bottom paint done and a bunch of other work done on the boat. So it's kind of a combo deal while our, we're gone and the boat is stored. Um, I, it would, it so much depends upon is, do you have someone who's in the middle to watch the boat for you? Um, I would get the, the leery of leaving our boat more than a couple of weeks at a time without someone watching over it, just mm -hmm. checking those buildings. In the pumps, water, yeah. Checking the sea strainers and everything else that, you know, so much, so much can go wrong with the boat, um, especially on the water. So 
if we're looking at leaving the boat for more than several months at a time, I'm probably going to prefer being on the hard or having someone uh, living aboard and, and checking things over on a regular basis. And, and things will be quite a bit different, too, once we get further north and we're leaving the boat for winter and it needs to be winterized. And so, so we haven't had to deal with that yet. We're, we're, we're stored far, far enough south that winterization is not an issue. But once we are further up in the loop and breaking that segment up, that changes everything. We'll probably be wrapping or finding heated clips or whatever. Yeah, a lot more this, complicated. Than we're, we're not really familiar with this winter thing. <laughs> <laughs> so any thoughts? Because you don't go back and forth, you know, every two weeks or something, this may not be an issue for you. But people often ask me about kind of the mechanics of handling looping in segments because you end up someplace, you know, without a car, without transportation and need to get back home and then back to the boat, et cetera. Um, you know, it's not too hard any place, I think, to get a rental car um, or right. transportation to a rental car or an airport. But any thoughts about that or anything you've heard from others or experiences you've had yourselves? Well, one advantage we find for, for the looping at the slow pace we do is that we're, because we're only going a, a few hundred miles and then settling in for another longer stay, is we've actually been able to move a vehicle with us and just kind of hopscotch it up the coast. So we We'll, you know, usually be able to find somebody who'll give us a ride back to our prior port where we'd prior long-term stop where we'd left a car behind and then just drive that back. And then we've got a daily driver when we're in a town for a month. And our, actually, we I made a change this last summer and our daily driver is now a camper van that can sit in a regular size spot so that we can actually use that to get back to our home base, which happens to be another RV that's larger and have it be a very comfortable ride without worrying about hotels or anything right. like that. And we also do camping trips during our longer stays. But for someone who is not hopscotching a car, who might not be doing as long a stays as we are, um, definitely, you know, airports are all over the place. And especially if you're going someplace where you can get a ride to that airport, uh, you can fly back uh, Short -term car up and down the stuff. East Coast. You have Amtrak, which makes a great option for riding the rails back and forth up and down the coast. Uh, so there's all sorts of options, and people do regularly um, travel away from their boat. Yeah, oh, and the small hopscotches like you're doing makes perfect sense, too. I really hadn't thought about that, that it's if you've only traveled 100 miles, it's it's not too hard to go back and get a vehicle. So that's another great Right, tip. we have a lot of people say, well, because we'll travel for like two or three weeks at a time before we'll get to our next extended stop. And people like, well, you've traveled two or three weeks, you must have gone thousands of miles. I'm like, <laughs> no, a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> it's an hour drive back. It's no big deal. <laughs> so this style of looping obviously suits the two of you very well. Um, so you may not have found any drawbacks to doing it this way, but I'm going to ask you anyway, have you found any? Are there any things that you've missed perhaps or, or uh, drawbacks to looping in segments the way you're doing it? I think the biggest drawback for us is we don't get to experience the social side of looping, at least not with the looping community, because you know we see right now you know watching Facebook and then the forums and you know all the you kind of have a, a clump of loopers that are kind of traveling together on this more traditional one year path, and we've been maybe passed by the same loopers once or twice, <laughs> but we're not getting that consistency of community uh, with the same loopers or being able to travel with them in a pack, which we love convoying when we RV with friends. So we're not getting that aspect of looping. And mm -hmm. I guess the, the other related thing about being out of sync with the traditional, the, the one-year loop formula, you're basically following great weather. You're following perfect the, the seasons. Um, when you're out of sync, that means you might be 
um, while you're dealing with winter, you're going to have to deal with winter at some point or another. If you're or hurricane north. season. <laughs> and, or if you're further south, you might have to deal with uh, a hot summer and you've got hurricane season and stuff like that. So you do have different seasonal considerations that is, can be a bit of a drawback to sure. be not in that perfect weather window. Before we wrap up, any other advice for those who might be contemplating uh, a segmented loop? If you're going with the segmented and also what we're calling uh, slooping, slow looping, looping, Mm -hmm. which is you're going to be doing over many, many years, is I think it does influence the type of boat that you might choose. Um, We see a lot of loopers where they will select a boat really intending to keep it maybe a year or two and then turn it around maybe even to another new looper. and then with those cases, you're not thinking about the long-term uh, aging of the boat, the depreciation, the long-term maintenance of the boat, uh, because you're you're essentially using it as a temporary vessel. Whereas we're when we uh, started to really start to think of a swooping pace, is we knew that our boat was going to be a five to ten year home base for us. So and we looked differently at the the boat and the livability of it. And yeah, we knew we were going to be spending extended stays in places, so we focused more on. You know, something that for us in a lot of ways is more of a floating condo that we've got a basically a bigger boat than we initially thought we were going to want just because it's going to be our home for a, such a right. long time. And so we had less concern about the, non- the monthly stays, um, the nightly stays, and the fuel costs because we knew those were going to be minimized in our journey. So we optimized for a larger vessel than we might have otherwise. Um, because, you know, the monthly stays, a few feet here yeah. really yeah. impact the bottom line all that much. Right. Uh, great tips, great advice. Um, you are currently on the RV. Where are you right now? Yeah. We are in uh, the Texas wine country, Ooh, so uh, Fredericksburg, Texas, mm-hmm. and we're here for another meetup um, where we are going to be watching the debut of our new TV show. Yes, and that is so exciting, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was about to ask about it. Um, tell us about the show. Yeah, so we, we've got a... Um, a, a friend who we met in the RVing world who had produced a show on PBS called The Aviators that's been hugely successful over eight seasons. And he told us last year that he wanted to do a show about the RVers, you know, focusing on the RV lifestyle, not a reality show, but an educational show. And he's like, you guys, you're my, you're, I really want you to be part of this show. And we're like, well, we're in a boat right now. Is that still okay with you? And he's like, <laughs> yes, you're still RVers and you're still going to be in RVs. And, so we are co-hosts with some other prominent RVers in the YouTube uh, venue, mm-hmm. and uh, it is very educational-based, not reality. It's not about us, but it is uh, debuting this Sunday, uh, November 17th, on Discovery Channel. So. At 8 a.m. Eastern or on the 8 a.m. Pacific feed as well. So, yeah, we're going to, and then it'll be going out to iTunes and Amazon and everything else on the 18th, and then PBS channels will still be carrying it in 2020. Yep, and I've got my DVR set already, <laughs> but you mentioned to me that, um, you know, season one is already recorded, but uh, season two is already in the works. Yeah, season, Discovery has already purchased season two, which is coming out in May, and uh, they haven't even shown season one yet, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Very cool. And as I said, you already have quite a following in the RV world, but this is certainly going to extend it. So hopefully at some point you will get back to slooping, um, but I have a feeling you're going to be a little bit busy on the RV for a while, but... Uh, and obviously plans change, but as of right now, when are you thinking you'll be back to the boat and back on the water? Our, yeah, we're, we're planning to get back to the boat in uh, mid to late February and then uh, pick back up on the cruising probably in springtime. Sounds wonderful. Let me know when you're coming back through Charleston. Hopefully you'll stay for a while again, um, but I'd love to visit awesome. with you again when you're on your way through. 
We that would love fabulous. that. Shuri and Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Good luck with the show on Sunday. We'll look forward to it, and we'll look forward to you joining us again. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for listening once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising.